Welcome to Radically Honest Podcast. Through raw storytelling, we're going to demystify the true keys to success in our digital age through our shared humanity. Welcome back, everyone. It's your host, Assam Lee, and today I am joined by Fares. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Assam. Pleasure being with you. Of course. So a quick introduction for Fares. He is the current CEO of MySwimPro, and he actually started a national holiday. What was it called again? World Swim Day. Wow, that's awesome. And MySwimPro is an incredible application that helps so many different athletes on their fitness journeys. And Ferris also has a YouTube channel where he vlogs on entrepreneurship, building startups, investing in startups, and he's writing a self-help coaching book launching early 2021 next year. So get excited for that. But Ferris, thank you so much for being here. Give us a few fun facts, kind of break the ice. Yeah, totally. So I'm Ferris, late 20s, Uh, Born and raised in Michigan. I'm actually first generation American. My parents came to the United States from Damascus, Syria. And, you know, I had an incredible childhood, I guess you'd say. I'm really fortunate and humbled by all the opportunities that I was able to have. You know, I had great education, um, great extracurriculars. I actually, I only did one extracurricular, which was swimming, but I did have the opportunity to at least, you know, dabble in a lot of different things, you know, playing tennis. When you're like eight years old, you know, a lot of kids where I grew up, they did baseball or sailing. So I had a lot of opportunities available to me and I ended up sticking with swimming. Uh, it's really ironic the fact that I started a swimming related company because my parents actually don't swim. So they grew up in a, in a city setting and then they moved to the United States. And when they eventually came here, you know, really for new opportunities, but they realized that everyone signs their kids up for swim lessons. And, you know, everyone learns how to swim <laughs> where we grew up. And we're, we're relatively close to the water in Michigan. And so I learned how to swim. I did that, you know, summer swim team, high school swim team. I competed in college. Definitely the water has become a, a part of me. You know, <laughs> the human body is made up of a large percentage of water. But, you know, I think for me, it goes a little deeper than that, uh, more on the figurative sense. And I guess the rest is history. So that's that's a little bit about my background. That's awesome. I'm sure with your parents' background, you had a different perspective on just being in the US and having those opportunities to like learn how to swim where your passion for it sprouted. What was growing up like for you in that sense? Like what was your first job and how did that kind of like teach you about a business? Yeah, totally. I've had so many random jobs. <laughs> like, you know, we could break it into two categories. So you're like odd jobs that, you know, someone hires you to do something. This is, I guess the term now is freelance. There's those types of things. And then there's the more typical like W2 where you actually work for a company or, or an organization. So in terms of like those side jobs, you know, everything from raking the leaves, I was hired to do a lot of random different things like side jobs growing up. I did marketing consulting as I got a little bit older and developed more into that freelance type of stuff. I did like freelance cinematography. So when I was 13 years old, actually, I was hired by an artist, which started as a volunteer job. And they hired me to do like this painting unveiling. And it's funny because you know, I had to be driven to the job because I'm 13 years old. So my mom drives me to the gig downtown Detroit. You know, I film this art show basically. And then, you know, I get paid. And, you know, this was back in the day when you actually had to have like a camera mm-hmm. camera and a tripod and things like that. Now, you know, everyone does this on their smartphone, but it makes me feel old. But yeah, that was like, you know, some of the side jobs I was doing. And then my first like job with a W2 was actually a lifeguard. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's probably that surprising, <laughs> given my uh, aquatic background that I that I was a lifeguard and then eventually a swim coach. And I worked at a whole number of different 
pools in the area. Definitely a good mix. And I think all of that is just the the mindset of like working, not necessarily like working for yourself, but like just understanding that if you want to make something happen, you know, whether it's getting paid hourly or you're working independently on one of those freelance type jobs, like you just have to put in the time and you have to put in the work, you know, nothing is really handed to you. And that's definitely a, a trait that my parents, just seeing them work so hard at everything and them instilling that into me, you just have to put in the time and you have to put in the work. And I think having a good mix of those W2 type jobs and knowing some things that I don't want to do, <laughs> there are definitely a lot of benefits when you're working you know, for an organization, for someone else, obviously. But at the same time, you, you definitely lose some of the freedoms and being able to express yourself and put together something that you want to go after. And so you get the benefit of that when you do these types of freelance gigs or, or starting your own organization or your own company. So definitely all of that accumulated to where I am today and very thankful for all those opportunities. Absolutely. And I think there's a facet of humility that you learn from those jobs from the W2 occupation to like where you are now, like Forbes 30 under 30 consumer technology. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course, like the creative aspect of your skill sets and also just like being a visionary in the sense of taking that experiences, those experiences you've had as a swimmer yourself, and then applying that to potential and future swimmers. I think that's incredible. And for your mission on your site, it says empowering aquatic prowess in all swimmers. So with that, what was your why in starting My Swim Pro? So the origin story of starting this company, I mean, it's very organic. And that's what I like about it. Because sometimes you see people who start a business and they're solely focused on there's a market opportunity. I can make a lot of money here. Or I was working on this project and then it evolved into something else, basically to make money. And I think for me, that was never really the intention. It was all about how can I sort of democratize all this knowledge that I have in swimming to help other people? Because, you know, if you think about swimming or any other skill related activity, you have to learn it. And so what do you want to do when you want to learn a new skill? You seek out the advice of others. You look, you go to experts, you go to Google, you go to YouTube and you, you type in your questions and within a couple seconds, you can actually get answers. If we rewind why and how I started the company, it was because people were coming to me asking me those questions. And I realized that there weren't really great resources available to people to answer those questions. So if you go to Google and you search, if you go to the app store and you look for something that can be that personal coach for you, you didn't really have anything. And so there is this big gap in the market. And I was thinking about it more from the perspective of how can I just help all these people and, you know, basically answer all of their questions? You know, they're trying to get better at swimming. They're trying to lose weight swimming. They're trying to improve their technique. They want to do a triathlon. They're 25, 75, every type of diversity you can think of, you know, people swim all over the world. So when I started the company, I was not thinking about it at that scale in terms of a global scale. I was more thinking about it in terms of I have all these adults asking me for swimming help and I'm in a position where I can create something that will solve a lot of these problems. And then once I got rolling with it, I started to realize the scale of the opportunity and thinking that there's so many more people I can help outside of Michigan, the United States, uh, North America. And then, you, and then you start to look at the numbers and it's like, yeah, the United States is only 4% of the world's population. So clearly there's a very massive opportunity of, of where people swim. And it's because swimming is fantastic for your body. It's the best form of physical activity. You can do it at any age, it's low impact. That's not really common with a lot of other forms of fitness, yet there's so many other fitness applications and websites and blogs and videos and all these different resources for all these other sports and physical activities 
but swimming is technically the one that should really be dominating this conversation because it really is the best form of physical fitness. And on top of that, it's kind of like the hardest to get better at because there's so many unknowns. It's, it's so, you know, it's not like going for a walk or going for a run. That's relatively straightforward. If you want to go swim, first of all, you have to know how to swim. And then secondly, once you can make it to the other end of the pool without drowning, then there's a lot of skill and technique involved and structure and all those things. So that's really the vision for my swim pro is to empower aquatic pro as to to help people reach their goals, whether that's losing weight, improving just overall cardio health, mental health, competing in a triathlon. So that's basically who we help, you know, a whole range of people who are looking to get better. Yeah, I'm in awe of like the amount of growth that's what my super has experienced since 2014, like being 2016 Apple Watch up of the year and now being in like over 150 countries, especially with like the mobile app. How did you kind of leverage social media and the age of like technology that we're in to kind of distribute your platform? Yeah, totally. I think our story is representative of just the era that we're in because what I'm doing is not necessarily that new in the sense of like helping people get better at swimming. You know, people, swim coaches, like any type of coach has been doing this for a long time. The difference is we're sort of packaging all of that information, that experience up in a digital form through the app, through the Apple Watch, Garmin, different smartwatches. So that way it's as if you have a personal coach with you in your pocket, in your phone, with you at the pool. But in some ways, it's actually better than having a personal coach because you get real-time analytics and data on your wrist, like your heart rate and stuff, which, you know, having a, a real coach can't do that for you. So, you know, basically taking all of this packaging, all of this knowledge and, and experience that has been around for a while, but then putting it in a way that someone can just go to the app store and download it and then leveraging social media to amplify the value of what that brings. So I was very intentional with our content marketing strategy and like setting up our Instagram account and Twitter. That's actually, you know, that's, that's a whole other side story of getting initial contacts through Twitter and then getting on YouTube and Facebook and all that good stuff. And now our community, you know, is hundreds of thousands of followers across those channels. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people ask like, oh, how do you grow your Instagram to hundred and whatever thousand it's at right now? And I tell them, well, you just have to be very consistent. You have to post all the time, curate amazing content, create amazing content, engage with the community and do that every single day for a thousand days. And then kind of people look at me and they're like, oh, a thousand, like, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I mean, it's literally been doing it for five years. So it's, you know, we're closer to 2000 days continuously at this point. And I think that's just oversimplification, but it's a stressing point in that just because we have mobile apps and social media, it doesn't mean things happen overnight. Like you still have to put in the work and you have to develop the right story and engage with the right audience members. And the only way you're going to be able to figure that out is if you basically put in the work and do it. And I think sometimes we see, especially with headlines, and this is what I I hope that, you know, looking back, I'm not an, an example of this, but sometimes you see companies or organizations or people just blow up on social media and they go from like zero to a million, like anything overnight. It's not really overnight. It it feels like that. It might have taken like two years, but people didn't pay attention until the last 30 days. And so, yes, sometimes luck plays into that. And at the end of the day, most of the time, it's just consistency and hard work, just not giving up, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And your YouTube channel and your book is going to help unpack a lot of this further, which I'm excited for. I also noticed that you're a three times US Master Swimming National Champion. <laughs> and so how did you create an app that was so personalized and valuable that it could almost replace that real life coaching person? 
Yeah, totally. And thanks for the the credit on the swimming. I still like to to stay pretty connected in the competitive uh, world, but that's also a challenge too. So, you know, sometimes people see like either my swimming ability or, and I, I mean, for the record, like I'm not, you know, an Olympian or anything like that. I'm just compared to the average person. Yeah. I mean, I swam in college and stuff like that. So sometimes that actually intimidates a lot of people because they're just trying to pick something up. And sometimes people feel like it's harder to communicate actually with an individual organization that feels almost like too elite. And so when I think about what we do at my swim pro, I actually don't think about it from the perspective of like, I'm a competitive swimmer. I think about it more from the perspective of being the coach because I've actually coached swimming. And fun fact, I actually still coach swimming in the morning for adults a few times per week at a local uh, athletic club. But I basically, I, I approach everything from that perspective because as a coach, it's your job to understand the goals of the person you're trying to help and where they're at skill level wise. That's why sometimes you see these elite athletes in other sports you know, most of the time they don't become coaches. And just because they're a really good elite athlete doesn't mean they're going to be a good coach. For myself, I always try and put it in perspective of, yes, I'm a competitive swimmer, but I approach everything from the coach mindset because I'm trying to help people get better. I'm not trying to help people like compete against me or anything. There was an initial imposter syndrome actually on the flip side of that, because when I was creating the company and some of the initial content, I thought of myself and I thought, you know, I'm not Michael Phelps. Like, why would someone listen to me? (laughs) You know, I'm not, or Michael Phelps' coach. I'm not Bob Bowman or any of these other like household type names. Like, who am I to create something like this or give swimming advice or, or anything like that? And I actually luckily got over that pretty quick because what I realized is that's not what people care about. They care about what can the coach basically bring value to me? How can the coach help me? Because yeah, they're not trying to be Michael Phelps. They're just trying to get better. And if you're positioning yourself in a way to do that, and I think this applies to literally everything, not just swimming or coaching, just the imposter syndrome in general. Like Ultimately, can you help someone improve and can you help them get to whatever their goal is? And if you can do that, then that's perfect. That You don't really need to have any more qualifications other than your ability to help the person make progress. Mm. That's really valuable insight because I think a lot of people do deal with, do I have a certain level of expertise to provide this platform or charge this amount? But it doesn't happen overnight. And I think a lot of people realize that now, especially as entrepreneurship is becoming glorified, but also equally authentically discussed in like the public space. What key points have you just really felt in touch with your humanity, whether it was imposter syndrome or just feeling really empathetic towards swimmers that don't have access to your app or just this desire to help others gain proficiency in a sport that you love? Yeah, totally. I approach this from sort of two perspectives. So one is a lot of people are asking for this. Let me create something. Now I've created something that helps people in not only my own neck of the woods, but across the United States, across North America, globally. So I've definitely been able to have the privilege of of seeing what kind of an impact we're able to have on a global scale. At the same time, what you realize is that we're so similar as human beings all over the world, because a lot of the goals that I mentioned, losing weight, mental health, physical health, competing in a triathlon, any of those, they're pretty much the same all over the world. It, It doesn't matter if someone's in Oklahoma, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, or in Tokyo, Japan, or anywhere in the world, for the most part, everyone approaches swimming from a goal perspective pretty much the same way. People are looking for help. And so now in the position that I'm in and we're a global company and we have a global team, it's really important that we keep that in mind 
as we try and help people because at the end of the day, like we're so similar and we just put out a video like why we swim. And I think the the voiceover, it's, it's my own voice and I wrote the script and it's poetic story of, of what that feeling is like when you go in the water and the benefits of swimming and how it impacts you physically and mentally. And I think that storyline, it doesn't matter if you're in the United States or in Germany, Saudi Arabia, like it really doesn't matter. That storyline is on point regardless of where you go in the world. So I think that ties back into the why of being able to help people and being able to unite sort of the world. And that's actually one of the reasons for World Swim Day. So this international holiday is about empowering people all over the world to go swim because we know how great it is and we want to empower more people to do it who might be a little shy about getting started for a number of reasons, whether it's you know body image or just there's so many reasons why people might be hesitant to get in the water or swim more than they already do. And that's tying my Swim Pro and World Swim Day and everything that we're doing. It's around this concept that why do we swim? We are all united by this shared passion for the water. And if you have the ability and the opportunity to do so, we highly encourage it. Yeah. I've heard in the past that a lot of people love swimming because it takes you back to like when you're in the womb, like being developed, we're just like naturally used to being in the water. What about your personal story in seeing how like your entrepreneurial journey and everything that went on behind the scenes that was so difficult and challenging, how it's like helped so many people? Like what, what did that do for you? Yeah, I've learned a lot about myself actually here in the last uh, five years. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of self-development and always trying to learn and I think I'm still learning a lot about myself and other people and humanity. And I think that I used to think when I was maybe a teenager or early 20s, you would kind of like figure it out after maybe a few years or something. And what I'm learning now, especially when you speak with people who have really accomplished something pretty significant in their domain, is that you're always learning, you're always growing. It, it really doesn't stop. You're always learning. about. You have maybe better intuition about your own personality and what motivates you and and how to motivate others, but you're always learning. And so for me, in the last five plus years of doing what I'm doing now, I've definitely learned a lot about myself. And I've learned, you know, what some of my strengths are, weaknesses are, and just have a better appreciation and understanding of like, how the world kind of fits together. And understanding that a little bit better, I realize there's still so much more that I don't know. I think there's some travel quote that's related to this, like the more you the more you travel, or the more that you see, the more you realize you like don't know or you, that you haven't seen. And I think in life, similar to travel, very similar concepts. So I'm always trying to keep learning, self-develop and try and empower others to do the same. Yeah, it's a never ending journey. I truly feel that people who do accomplish something so significant, like as young as you have, you experience how much more there is left to go and expand. And could you tell us a story of a time that you face like adversity regarding your business? And how did you kind of overcome that? Yeah, I think there's so many examples of this. Sometimes it's hard to actually like pick one out because I think as an entrepreneur, every single day, at least every week, you're going to have some massive challenge that doesn't really go the way you wanted it to, or it's something unexpected comes up. For me, actually, I used to struggle with trying to talk about this because Mm. I had basically built up a tolerance. And I think entrepreneurs build up a tolerance where you sort of just expect stuff not to go the way that you want. And you become so flexible, like your mindset is so empowering to yourself that, yes, I'm expecting something not to go the way it is, but I'm going to analyze the situation Take, you know, take a step back, analyze the situation, figure out what our options are, and then just move forward. And so all of these bumps in the road, 
they are just bumps in the road. But if you're if you're not used to seeing that, then they seem like mountains. And they just seem like unsurmountable challenges. And so I, I drew this graph. Maybe I'll make a YouTube video about this. Basically, you have like, if you think about a roller coaster, and it, it kind of goes up and down, up and down. So as you develop a, a company or a business, or you frankly go through life, the hills of this roller coaster actually just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so as you build a company, and I've noticed in our company, the challenges and the, the struggles actually get way, way bigger. Like the stuff that you used to deal with initially like seem like nothing relative to where you are now. But the difference is you build tolerance. So even though these hills of the roller coaster keep getting bigger and bigger, in some ways they pretty much stay the same if you're building tolerance to that. I think like the most relevant example is what happened this year with the global pandemic. So if you think about it, we've been talking about swimming or swimming related business. And at one point, 90 plus percent of the world's pools were shut down. So when you close down, you know, in like the gym industry, mm. restaurant industry, they, they pretty much all face the same thing. Like, how do you run a business when you can't technically, they're telling you you can't <laughs> and, and they meaning like just the world, you know, it's not any, I'm not trying to make this political. It's like literally the world is telling you, nope, it's not going to happen right now. And so you have to adapt, you have to pivot. And so I think for someone to be thrown in like my situation who you know, hasn't seen any kind of adversity with like our business or any, like that's like, oh crap. So the business is done. What do you do when you need a pool to use our product pretty much? And then the pool's closed. So why would you keep paying for our membership? It's like, I gave the example of Netflix. So imagine if you have a Netflix subscription and a lot of people do, and then someone took away your phone, computer, and TV. Would you still want to pay for that Netflix subscription? <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what happened to us. It's like someone took away the pool and why would you keep paying for my Bro? So that's the situation that we were in. And so I mentioned, okay, take a step back analyze the situation. What can we do to serve our community? And so we adapted. We created new programming, filmed a ton of content in a matter of hours and weeks. And so we launched all these new features, things that you can actually use our application without a swimming pool. And so it's like, how do you, how do, you do that? So without getting too into the weeds, like we basically just figured, how can we serve value to our existing community? Because they need us right now. Like The world is facing these massive challenges at the time, it didn't seem like they were really going to go away. Like we were thinking about this from a longer term perspective. And even to this day, you know, fast forward over half a year into the pandemic, it's, it's not over. If anything, we're still, you know, on the first half of it. And so when you take that step back, you just have to recognize like, what do we have now? We have an awesome team. We have an awesome community that already trusts us. We have a certain subscriber base. And what are the resources and opportunities that we have? What can we do in a short amount of time? And what can we learn from that? So that way, six months from now, we can continue to adapt our new model. So we, we launched all these new features. We changed our pricing model, our subscription packages. And now we're going to continue to evolve all of that stuff as time goes on. So that's probably the most significant challenge that I think our business and also a lot of other businesses have had to face. And unfortunately, I've seen it time and time again. Some businesses and, and entrepreneurs they're not willing to adapt or they don't want to make some of those hard decisions or adaptations that are required and they kind of throw in the towel. And it's unfortunate what I saw in like the swimming industry specifically. I mean, I, I saw a lot of companies and people and organizations just say, you know what, we're just going to kind of wait this out. We're just going to see what happens. And that's not how an entrepreneur thinks. Like, <laughs> Because someone with any forward looking insight would be like, okay, we can't wait this out because this might not be over for like two years. 
So you're just going to sit around and twiddle your fingers for two years? Like, no, you're going to go out of business. So I, I really empower people to think, yes, you're going to have challenges, but you got to take a step back, put it in perspective and control what you can control. Don't worry about stuff you can't control. And as long as you focus on what you can control, then you're going to be in a position to keep evolving, keep learning and make some stuff happen. Mm. This evolutionary kind of go with the flow mindset, is that something you've had from the beginning of your entrepreneurship journey? And what kind of really like instilled that, oh, this is how I have to do things if I want to continually succeed in you? Yeah, that's that's actually a great point because not everyone has this mindset. And I think there's something you can definitely develop. I think I'm, for whatever reason, I think I have a little bit of this innately, but also, so there's like a nature nurture conversation about this. I think I found my growth in this department, if you will, has come the most from seeing and listening to other entrepreneurs doing it. So hopefully someone listening to this hears kind of that flow and that mindset. And it's just another data point of how it could be done. Yes, maybe there's a little bit of just flexibility just with my personality. And I'm just very easygoing and problems happen and you learn to adapt from them. And maybe experiences in my childhood or just in my life have equipped me with that. But I do think a lot of this is learned and it's the people you surround yourself with. That quote, um, you know, your reflection of the five people you spend the most time with. I really think that's pretty significant. So if you're around people who are always negative and complaining and you know something goes wrong and it's like oh that's all we're going to talk about the world is ending that's gonna it's gonna rub, rub off on you whether you like it or not and so by surrounding yourself with positive people or other entrepreneurs who are hopefully positive then you're positioning yourself to rewire your your brain and maybe not rewire it but incentivize yourself to take action when maybe others would kind of sit around and do nothing mm. and i think it really is a matter of the people that you're around and making the best of those situations because you really do have a lot of control, but only if you have the mindset to do something mm, about it. Absolutely. Narrowing down to what you can control and almost like optimizing the potential of that to turn into something positive, like a negative into positive. That seems like something that you do very often, like in your business. And I'm sure like it's helped you get through this trying time as everyone has been experiencing. Mm -hmm. With your leadership capabilities, like especially being like CEO now, what was a story that really impacted you not only through like your MySwim Pro journey, but just in life that made you realize like, okay, to be a good leader, like there has to be a level of emotional intelligence, there has to be a level of flexibility, etc. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to nail one specific person or story. I, I, I lean back to, look, we're in a digital age. Because there's social media and YouTube, it's actually relatively easy to surround yourself digitally with some of these people who are making stuff happen, who have that positive mindset that I described. So one huge benefit of growing up in today's world as compared to 30 years ago is 30 years ago, there were only how many business type shows or like self-help type TV shows out there. Maybe there were some magazines that you could read, but it wasn't like in front of you <laughs> as easy as it is now. Like now you go on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you can just follow these entrepreneurs. And I actually, I wouldn't narrow it to business specifically because I've actually seen people in medicine. I've seen people in technology, of course. I've seen people in pretty much every industry become these leaders, these influencers in a way, and they're always sharing their perspective. And the common theme among all of them 
is they have a few similarities. Like one of them is they have amazing self-awareness. Like they know why they got into the position that they're in. Like they know what their own skills are and they're able to recruit other people around them who maybe are stronger where they're weak. And so I think for me as a leader, like I, I know some skills that I have and I know some areas that I'm not that good at. And I go heavy in where I know I'm strong and I try and recruit the people around me, the support system. And this doesn't have to be like hiring people. This could be advisors, mentors, just people who are strong in those areas that you're not as strong in. In addition to that, these people who are these you know influencer types who are basically leading their category and people follow them, it's because they have a positive outlook on life. It's not the ne- there are some of those people and that can attract attention, but most of the time it's the people who are spreading positivity and they're sharing the stories of success but also failure, but when they talk about failure, they talk about how it's impacted them. They try and make it relatable so that way you can see, okay, here were the missteps, these are the things that went wrong, but I see that they're doing something about it and they're taking action. They're learning from that experience. It's okay to fail. And I think that those are some common themes that all of these people have in the world. And now it's so easy, like you're listening to this, you're in a position, you know, that you can go and look all this stuff up. It's, it's amazing. I definitely encourage people to surround yourself digitally. Those five people that rub off on you, they don't have to be living in the same house as you. You can subscribe online and you can listen to those podcasts and that actually will have a huge benefit on what you do. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. What are your kind of like top couple influencers out there or mentors that are easily accessible that you would recommend to people listening right now? Yeah, totally. So I think it it depends a little bit on what you're interested in. So for me, I'm interested in the swimming world and there's certain like top swimming people and coaches there. I think for this crowd listening, you know, maybe more on the business side, there's a few YouTubers that I always look at what they're doing and I'm like, huh, I kind of want to be doing that in a few years or something like that. One of them actually, her name is Marina Magelko. She's like founded a tech company and she's a vlogger. She teaches people about languages, how to travel through languages. And I see how she's built an international business. She's running YouTube channels. She's helping people take action on their ideas. I really like her. Her YouTube channel is actually Silicon Valley Girl. So it's, it's also cool to see that because so she's a woman and that area, like she kind of has a sort of a monopoly because there's not many women talking about like tech and entrepreneurship and stuff like at her scale. She has millions of subscribers. So mm-hmm. if you guys are listening and you're interested in that, you should check out her YouTube channel. For men, there's so like so many. I, 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 subs- I actually made a video on YouTube, top 10 YouTube entrepreneur vloggers <laughs> to follow. So someone who's listening interested should check out that video. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I will definitely be linking your channel down below guys in the show notes and the article summary on rockwomenspodcast.com. So make sure to check it out. I was just thinking about how your prestigious brand reputation like online and the YouTube videos that you have done, like your TED Talk, like idea to app of the year, there's almost like this convolution between this immediate gratification, like success skyrocket to this persistence and this level of like, okay, it's not going to happen overnight, but it also won't take, let's say like multiple decades. So what do you learn about having that let's succeed immediately mindset, but being persistent and patient as well? Yeah. And this is where milestones are super important because sometimes people, they only think about, I want to build an empire and I'm going to take over the world. And that's like the long-term vision. And then when you don't get there in a year or two years or five years, then you're kind of upset with yourself or you feel like you haven't really done anything. So it's really important to have that big, hairy, audacious goal 
that massive thing that's 10 plus years out where you want to go for your life or your business or whatever you're working on. But then it's important to take a step back and, okay, what is the strategy and milestones of how we're going to get there? If that's what 10 years is, what do I want to do in five, three, one year, six months? What should I have done in a month from now to be on my way to make that goal happen? I actually mentioned in my TEDx talk, and I mention this quote all the time, it's by Bill Gates. He says that we overestimate what we can do in one year but we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And so the idea is that we as people, just the way we're wired, we have these very big goals, but we have them on too short of a time frame. And what happens is we don't, we don't hit those goals in one year, and then we kind of give up and get motivated. And we don't benefit from the compounding effect, sort of like interest, you know, if you think about compounding growth of interest, that's our effort in a specific thing. So if you can consistently apply effort over a, a longer period of time, most people actually underestimate what they can do over a decade. And so I put that in my TEDx quote. And now I, I always think about that because, yes, it's very easy to set like a really ambitious goal, but then actually doing it is the hard part. But oftentimes people put too big of a goal at the one year, like 10 yard line, when you're trying to get to the 50 yard line, and you're not, you're not going to get there because you kind of give up at eight yards in. <laughs> that was a football analogy. Hopefully everyone followed along with that. But uh, so I definitely encourage people to think, what are the milestones? One month, three months, six months, 12 months? And how are you going to get there? You can apply that in business and life, anything really. I think that's mm. a good framework. I think especially now, like with how 2020 has panned out and with the pandemic and everything, people have been a lot more like reality check struck in a way. I'm sure that's taught you a lot as well. And as far as your like lifestyle as an entrepreneur, how do you like balance everything from passion to obviously being like financially and profit driven to also being very mission oriented? Ooh, that's a really good question. This definitely varies from person to person. I've actually noticed this. I used to think entrepreneurs are just people who work really hard and they, I think that part is true, but they work really long hours. They never go on vacation. They do whatever. And there are a lot of people who do that. <laughs> and then there's a, another crowd of people that actually don't work as much as you think they would maybe, or maybe they've, they've, they're very strategic with their time. So they work really hard for a, a period of time, whether it's months or years. And then they take a step back and they, they do something else or they take a vacation for a month and there's no right way to do it. I think at this point in my life, I'm on the, on the first one that I mentioned. So I'm like pretty much always working all the time, but I do try and think about, well, what am I going to be doing in like five years? I don't think, not that it's not sustainable. If I can be consistent with how I do things now in five years from now, I'll be in a different position from a knowledge perspective, financial perspective. Everything I do, it'll be in a different spot. So I'll have more opportunities to be more flexible with how I do stuff. And I think it really does vary from person mm -hmm. to person. And I think the entrepreneur, like the hustle culture, there's definitely a place for that. At the same time, it's not how everyone does it. And some people have built massive, massive things. And the common theme is hard work. That's not going away. But like how you do it in the timeline, I've noticed a lot of diversity in how mm -hmm. people do that. Yes, I'm sure. When you graduated from university, what was that like point where you were like, okay, I have this idea and I really want to embark on it. And so I'm going to risk not having a stable nine to five to build this idea with people that I believe in as well. 
Yeah, totally. And even to clarify that, so I actually didn't start the company like when I was in school or even immediately after school. So I, I had ideas. I was entrepreneurial minded, but I wasn't really thinking, I'm going to pull Mark Zuckerberg. I'm going to start a company and then just do that. I was definitely, I mean, I, I did have a couple of jobs. I worked at a few different startups in college and then after college. And it was actually while, you know, just a couple of years after that, where I got the idea and it all kind of lined up. So even though I was, I've been in swimming for pretty much two decades. It wasn't until I actually left the bubble of university and I kind of got into like, quote unquote, the real world where I started to see like, okay, this is how the world works. This is how swimming fits into that puzzle. And knowing what I know about startups and technology and marketing and, and all that stuff, wait a second, there's a really big problem and there's an opportunity and now I'm going to build a business. That's how I did it. There's plenty of people who started in college, plenty of people who have been working for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and then the right idea, the problem, the timing, everything kind of works. So I don't think there's a right way to do that. I don't think there's a right timing. There are, at the same time, I want to kind of pause there because sometimes it's never going to be perfect to start the business. It's never going to feel right. But sometimes we're, you're very close to that, and that's when you need to make a move. That's when you need to take action because that might be the closest you're ever going to be in that specific, and that's kind of philosophical, but it's never going to be the right moment to start the business. But sometimes certain things will happen and line up for you that you're going to be pretty close to that perfect scenario, and that might be the closest you ever get. So you should do something about it because it's going to get only harder at different times. So hopefully that made sense and is useful. <laughs> no, that made absolute sense. There's almost like a, a destiny or fate aspect of everything just aligning. And if your only barrier is like imposter syndrome or some sort of internal fear, then it's mm. better to take that yeah. leap at that moment because you may never be ready, but that idea opportunity may not always be there. You may not be the first one to think of it. That's yep. very likely at this state. Yep. So especially with like social media, I noticed that you like led digital marketing at a lot of venture-backed tech startups. And with that expertise, do you think that helped you a lot when you were building something very geared for the current generation? Yeah, totally. This is one thing that I always try and reference back. And I did a little bit where I, I didn't start the company in college. And I think for me, and again, this is different for everyone, that probably wouldn't have been actually a good idea for me at that time because there were a lot of things missing. And so when I worked at these different startups. So before I started this company, I worked at four different startups. Two of them were venture backed. One of them was angel funded and separate from the financing, they're all in different industries. Some, one of them was swimming related, you know, like all over the place. And so I learned a lot working with other entrepreneurs, seeing all the things that they were doing that were making sense and all the things that I didn't agree with, or they didn't make any sense. And either the success or failure of these businesses was somewhat a direct result of what the founders do, of what the entrepreneurs do. Because in the beginning, when you're starting a business, the entrepreneur, the founder is the only person who is responsible for making stuff happen. Like, there's no one else. So when you have an idea, the idea doesn't really mean that much. It's the entrepreneur. It's the person that's actually going to go and take action on that idea. That's where all the value is. So by working with other founders and being an early team member at these companies, you learn and you see a lot. Like the last company I was at before I started my SwimPro, I sat literally between the CEO and the CMO. It doesn't really make sense. Like they should have been sitting next to each other. But literally, for whatever reason, at the desk, I was sitting in between them. So, you know, I, I had very, very good access and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. But the closer you can get 
to that type of an environment, the better. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, so like I already have a job or so I have to go work at a startup. Not really. You know, a lot of companies, especially now and myself included, they're very transparent with everything that they do. They're, they're creating articles, they're creating videos about kind of behind the scenes of how they're building stuff. And if you tap into the, those resources, that's really the, the first step. Second step would be, yes, like working with a six proven successful entrepreneur and learning from them like in person or working literally on the same team at the same company. And that will be hugely valuable because you'll see that right, that mindset and you'll build that tolerance that I mentioned where, mm-hmm. you know, even though you're not the CEO and you don't have to make those <laughs> difficult decisions, you kind of feel some of that pressure. Um, you feel the, the gravity of situations a lot differently when you're on the inside or closer to being at the inside of an organization. You know, we just had an election and, you know, it doesn't really matter what side of the, the fence you're on. There's a lot of pressure and stress for everyone involved. So, you know, regardless of like your political affiliation, I mean, it, it kind of sucks actually, if you think about it. So there's so much stress involved. And on the outside, like as a, as a voter, or as just a, a citizen, you think you feel that stress, but you don't. You know, you just see on TV or on social media what people are posting. Maybe you volunteer at the polls or you do something like that. But it's nothing compared to actually like working for the party, for the candidate. And so if you take that analogy to a startup, it's the same thing. So if you work like on the ground level with the founders or the closer you can get, you start to see how the operation truly works. And how, what separate that mindset and building that tolerance. So the closer you can get to it, the more value you're going to gain. So I definitely recommend try and find that closeness to the entrepreneurs, the founders, the the startups, even if it doesn't mean you're actually working for them directly, the closer you can position yourself to see and learn, the more impactful that's going to be for starting your own thing or building whatever it is Mm. that you hope to build. That is really valuable advice. That was really great, especially considering everything that's going on in our political climate right now. So thank you for that. Kind of as you close here, in your late 20s, I believe like 28, is that correct? I just turned 29. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Happy belated <laughs> birthday. But Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> at 29, you experienced so much. So derived from your experiences, what raw and like very stripped down advice would you give entrepreneurs who are really hungry to succeed in the consumer tech industry, in any sort of like mobile industry? Or- yeah, for sure. I mean, at, at the end of the day, what I'm about to say is less about building a tech company, a consumer product. It's just, it's life. And I think the, the advice I have is dream big because our time is limited. Use every hour of every day to build your masterpiece, take action, don't wait around. The worst thing is having regrets because by building your masterpiece, that's what you'll be remembered by. That's what your legacy will be. So make it something that you'll be Mm. proud of. That was powerful. Thank you so much, Bears. Guys, we have an episode releasing every Tuesday on RadicalNewsPodcast.com. Next week, guys, we have an incredible guest in the production industry who is actually on the set of Ariana Grande's Thank You Neck music video. So make sure to stay tuned. Follow us on at Podcast, Twitter at RadicallyPod, and make sure to stay tuned for Fair's book that's launching next year. If this episode is in any indication of the value he's going to bring to you, then you should pre-order it whenever it comes out. And follow Fares on YouTube for more content. What else would you like to plug here? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, if you, want to, you guys want to follow on social media, definitely happy to engage and reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. And what is your at on social media? 
Yep. Uh, I'm lucky. I have my full name on every platform. So Ferris Sabati on every platform. And Sabati is spelled K-S-E-B-A-T-I. It will also be linked below this episode. But thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.